turn to Jonah chapter 4. You will find Jonah chapter 4 right before Micah chapter 1. And uh, as you all are turning there, let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we turn to this final chapter of Jonah, and we consider in the greater scheme of things, how Jonah points us to you being a God of second chances. For everyone, Father, I pray that you would speak to us, especially those of us who have been hurt, those of us who are hurting. Father, that you would help us to keep our hearts tender, full of mercy, not only for ourselves, Father, but that we would have it towards others. Lord, we ask for this through the cleansing blood of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The title of the message today is Resenting Grace. A heart that resents grace is a heart at odds with God's. Many of us, if I were to do a poll and we all raised our hands, which you don't have to worry about doing, but if I were to ask us how many of us have ever been hurt by another person before, just about all of us would raise our hands if we're, if we're above a certain age. Um, and even those of us at a younger age, we've been, we've been hurt and we get hurt a little bit easier and by different things. Um, but as we get older, when we are hurt, what ends up happening is we start to be protective of ourselves. And we say, well, if I'm going to get hurt, that's it. They get nothing else from me. I won't be hurt again. I'm going to harden my heart towards that person. And what that is, is that's anger taking root in our heart, becoming bitterness and, and, and blooming into full-blown resentment. Resentment is bitter indignation or anger that someone feels about something, usually in regards to unfair treatment, like an insult, an injury, or a wrong. Uh, resentment is born from undealt with anger, as I said, that comes from that creates bitterness, and when bitterness takes root, it blooms into resentment. So I ask you, what makes you angry? Maybe we should ask ourselves, what makes us angry? If you don't know what makes you angry, you need to figure that out. Like, you need to understand the things that make you angry. Do you get angry easily? And if you do get angry easily, why? Now, anger is an important emotion. And it's an emotion given to us by God, but it's an emotion that we can use in disregard to God. It's an important emotion, though, because it's a revealing emotion. It's a warning light indicator for our heart. You know, like the same ones that are on the dashboard of your car? They, they, when they turn on, they don't blink when it gets more dire and serious. Uh, it, when it comes on, that's when it's, check it out now before it becomes serious. And uh, it's an indicator light for our heart because we get angry when something's not right. And it, when something is not right and it's something that's important to us. And the problem is we can't readily discern if our anger is from something not right with someone or something else or if it's with ourselves. Our initial assumption is it's always something else. It's never us. 
And so we cast the blame for our anger outside ourselves. But when we take time to track it down, sometimes, and maybe even if I dare say it, oftentimes, the wrong is within us. And this is as true for me as you might be feeling that it's true for you. Wrong information. How many times have we gone off the handle about wrong information? Wrong understanding. Those of us that are married or have to deal with people on a, on a basis where we have to clearly communicate. And when we have that trouble with miscommunication, we can't clearly communicate. How many of us get frustrated and angry? And then there's always the cause of an immature heart. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we angry about what God is angry about? Or are you angry about what God is about? That's the question we're going to answer today with Jonah. One is being angry for the things that God is angry for, and that's a righteous anger. The other is being angry because God is doing something that we don't agree with. As I said, we're going to conclude the book of Jonah. We come face to face with a prophet who just preached God's message and experienced the greatest revival ever recorded in scripture. Technically, he's the most successful prophet. But what we are going to see today is he is a prophet suffering from undealt with anger that has turned into resentment and it turned into the resentment of even God's grace. And so let's dive in and I want us to see that resenting God's grace puts our heart at odds with God's. And we need to ask ourselves, why is my heart not in alignment with God's? Let's learn from Jonah's anger so we can work to deal with our own anger before it becomes resentment in our hearts. In verse one, it says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and he sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, came from El Paso. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, and did not grow. It appeared in a night, and it perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right from their left, as well 
as many animals. And so we need to evaluate our anger. And as we go through this study, what we want to do is we want to compare our anger. Is it for something righteous? Or is our anger against something that God is for? Because our heart is at odds with God's when we're angry with God and what he's doing. That's what we see in the first two verses. It says, the, the, the chapter opens up. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord. He said, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. You see, I knew you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Imagine being angry over that. If the book had ended at chapter three, history would have portrayed Jonah as the greatest of all prophets and certainly the most successful. Preaching one message and seeing hundreds of thousands moved by the word of God to repent and believe. But I'm thankful for this chapter. To be included for the Lord had to reveal the thoughts and intents of Jonah's heart. And so we read instead that Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. And we can all relate with that. Maybe there have been times where God has used us. God has chosen to use us in situations. And maybe the situation came out in such a way that we were actually angry and furious that God was moving because maybe we're offended by the other party. Maybe we didn't like the other party. Maybe we just are a little bit um, uh, biased towards the other party. Jonah looks out and he sees the actions of Nineveh and he's displeased. God sees the actions of Nineveh and he relents. Jonah sees their actions and he vents. Jonah was angry and upset seeing the Lord moving in their hearts and showing the Ninevites grace. Resenting grace is what happens when we're angry with God and what God is doing. We go, wait, you're showing them grace? Why? Don't you know who they are, Lord? Well, he does. And here's what we need to keep in mind. He knew who we were too. Jonah's recorded as praying. And as you read this, it doesn't look like a prayer, right? It says he prayed to the Lord. He said, please, Lord. You know, okay, great. That sounds like a great start to a prayer. Please, Lord. but this prayer doesn't resemble any other prayers that you'll find in scripture. He says, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I ran in the first place. I ran because of who you are, God. He ran because he didn't want this exact thing. He knew it would happen. Imagine someone who preaches God's word with such an expectation, knowing that God's word has the power to change hearts. Nineveh's being saved and God turned from his anger towards Nineveh and Jonah instead turned to his anger for Nineveh. In Jonah chapter one, Jonah closely resembled the prodigal son. If you're familiar with that parable of the prodigal son. In chapter four, he's the prodigal's elder brother. Critical, selfish, sullen, angry, and unhappy. 
Jonah's heart, Jonah's problem was his heart and it's his heart at odds with God's heart. And the truth is the heart of every problem is always a problem found within the heart. There are no problems that don't come from our heart. And what's surprising to me, Jonah wasn't angry with God because he was surprised by what God did. Jonah's angry with God because God did precisely what Jonah knew he would do. It didn't surprise Jonah because Jonah displays, he knows God's character. He knows God's heart. He says, I knew you're a gracious and compassionate God. So why is he angry with God acting with grace and compassion? Resentment towards Nineveh. Jonah says, God is slow to anger. This is not just slow to get angry, but also slow to stay angry, meaning quick to forgive. Why is Jonah upset that God is forgiving those whom are his enemies? Resentment towards his enemies. Jonah says that God is abounding in faithful love. That word faithful love, we looked at it before. It's the Hebrew word hased. It's a strong acting love. You can't, you can't take strength out of it. You can't take action out of it. And you can't take love out of it. It's all three of those working together. And it's a faithful love. It's an unfailing love. Yet Jonah is angry because God's love is faithful. God, you relent from sending disaster, but I'm angry because you relented from sending disaster. Resentment resents grace and it's angry with God and what he is doing. We pray for God to vanquish our enemies, right? How many times have we prayed for God to get rid of our enemies, to remove those people from our life? to get rid of those people that we're angry with. We ask that he would wipe them out, that he would remove them. So why are we upset when he works in such a way as to eliminate our enemies by changing their heart and making them our friends and our brothers and sisters? Jonathan Swift, totally not related to Taylor, came centuries apart, wrote some verses that expresses Jonah's mindset. We are God's chosen few, All others will be doomed. There's no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. That cannot be the song of our heart. Resisting grace and being at odds with God's heart means we are choosing death over life. This might touch us in a different way because we live in a society that suffers greatly from mental depression. And when mental depression sets in, often we turn to choosing death over life. Let's watch as Jonah speaks out to God. He says, and now Lord, take my life from me because you're good and gracious, God, just just kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. I would rather die than see them saved. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? And then it says, Jonah never answered that question. What he did was he walked out of the city. He left the city. He found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there, sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. 
Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah. It provided shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he said. I'm angry enough to die. Jonah concludes his venting over the Lord's actions with the request, Lord, now take my life from me. How many times have we been angry to the point where we said, it's better for me to just die? That's when we resent God's grace. It's an interesting take because just in chapter two, in the belly of the fish, he said, Lord, don't let me die. Spare my life. And then so the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry over what I'm doing with Nineveh? And again, the question wasn't answered. The scene moved on. Jonah made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And here's a picture of a vicious cycle that will play out in life. When resentment is allowed to grow, people choose death over life. And while they may not die immediately, the life in them dies. They stop doing what they were doing before. They stop living for God. They sit on the sidelines watching everybody else. They stop growing. They stop maturing. They begin a vicious cycle. And what ends up happening in that cycle is life stops. It stops going anywhere. Because of offense, like, like Jonah, they leave where God is working. Jonah left physically, but those harboring resentment and offense, they leave spiritually. When, when we harbor that resentment and that offense towards people as we're giving out and sharing God's message of grace and we're upset because God is acting in grace, we, we leave spiritually. He might still be there, but here's what happens when they leave spiritually, when they're upset at watching God move. They begin to just sit, watching, waiting, hoping to see that some people will get their just desserts. They stop living, they sit down, hoping to catch a glimpse of the demise of the offender. Resentment caused Jonah to desire the demise of an entire city rather than rejoice over their new life. Jonah preferred their death over their life and he was content to sit and watch and wait. You see, in what God had just done, there were 650,000 baby believers within the city of Nineveh. They knew Christ they, or they knew God and they knew that he could save them and they repented. They didn't know anything else. Jonah should have been teaching. Jonah should have been discipling. Instead, he was disengaged and he sat on the sidelines. Church is not a spectator sport. We cannot be content to sit on the sidelines. Offense is no excuse to stop participating but it's the number one excuse most have. 
You want a guaranteed way to begin a spiral into depression? Choose death over life. Keep yourself at a distance from people. Keep yourself at a distance from the body of Christ. Are you currently in the cycle of having no life in your life? No joy, no spirit, no peace, no love. Jonah made three choices most angry people will make. And these choices bring death and not life. Jonah chose to quit. When we choose to separate and when we choose to spectate. Those three choices guarantee to stop growth in your life. God appointed three things within Jonah and around Jonah to teach him this lesson. First, he appointed a plant to grow over Jonah and he provided shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Then God appointed a worm to attack the plant and it withered and died. Then last, God appointed a scorching east wind to beat down on Jonah's head until he almost fainted. And you might look at that and go, wow, Jonah must have really upset God. But what if I told you that all three of those things came from the very love of God that Jonah was fighting against? These three things continue to reveal the deeper depths of Jonah's heart and the resentment that he had towards grace. And all of us might be fooled a little bit within our own hearts where we're like, I don't resent grace. Well, we don't for ourselves. We love grace for ourselves. It's the other people that bother us. Jonah enjoyed the plant and he enjoyed the shade. And it says that Jonah was pleased with it and happy. And, it, and if you paid attention during the book of Jonah, that's the first time Jonah was happy. He wasn't happy when God called him. He wasn't even happy to be delivered from the whale or the fish. And he certainly isn't happy when Nineveh repents at his preaching. Now, the first time Jonah is pleased and happy is when his own comfort is met. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, okay, Lord, stop stepping on my toes. Because that, I'm going to be honest, that's the time when I have the most happiness is when I'm seeking my own comfort. But we as Christ's children need to seek the joy that comes. Joy is greater than happiness, and it comes from being involved in the things that God is doing. There's a brief pause in Jonah's anger and his resentment at the blessing of the Lord, and this is what happens in our life, right? When we're expecting things to comfort us, when we have the comfort, we're fine. People love being around us. People love talking to us. We're all so happy. We have that song in our voice as we talk. But then as soon as something makes us unhappy, man, we're such grouches to be around. We'll be like, oh, be like, hey, good morning. What's so good about it? I'm glad to see you here at church. I'm not really happy to be here. Okay. But these are the things that we do. I mean, it's just the, the way that it is. At the removal of the blessing of the shade and the discomfort being increased, Jonah turns to anger right away. And look at how fast he goes from being happy. He's like, oh, life is wonderful. I'm in the shade. And as soon as the shade's gone, he's all, kill me. Just kill me now. 
kind of how we are when it goes from spring to summer. As soon as that desert heat hits, we're like, just let me die. (laughs) And his anger, again, he's choosing death over life. And so God asks him again, he says, it's the same question, but this time he kind of points him towards what he's talking about. He says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah finally responds, he goes, yes, and I'm angry enough to die. A little dramatic, but we all are when we get upset. Jonah was intent to sit under that plant and watch Nineveh fall. God in his mercy and grace towards Jonah didn't want to leave Jonah there. Maybe you feel that God is doing the same thing with you. Maybe you've been content to sit on the side, but God isn't content to leave you there. So you might feel I'm making you uncomfortable. Maybe you haven't put the two and two together, but that's more than likely what he's doing. He doesn't want to leave us in a place where we're not growing. He's going to always provoke us and push us and prod us and poke us to life. And so God took away his comfort and God allowed the plant to wither. And maybe there's some comfort in your life that God has taken away. Maybe there's something in your life that he's allowed to wither and it's because he wants you to start being provoked to life. And life happens when we're not concerned about ourselves, but we're concerned with others. Jonah created a shelter, and they, they, um, commentators agree that it was something called a lean-to. And if you've ever done survival training and whatnot, they teach you that a lean-to is one of the easiest shelters to make because you lean it against something and you lean to it, and it creates just this itty-bitty shade, just a little bit. That was what Jonah could do in his own strength. A little bit of shade. God appointed a plant that gave him a lot of shade. And you might go, well, how did that plant grow up overnight enough to give a person shade? It's God. He created a fish to swallow Jonah, had it spit him up. He watched, he showed mercy and grace to an entire city of heathens. He can make a plant that grows overnight. That's not a problem for me. Then there's wordplay going on in the Hebrew because the shade that God talks about and the, and the rescue that it talks about, those two words are kind of synonymous with each other. They mean deliverance and salvation. That God provided deliverance and salvation. The same is true with the term translated trouble and discomfort. To rescue him from his trouble and discomfort, it means evil or wickedness. To rescue from his evil and wickedness. The burning sensation on his head is the same evil, wicked feeling that was going on in his heart as he resented the grace towards others. A Hebrew reader would have heard two different ideas simultaneously in each word, and literally God sending the plant to shade him from his discomfort on the hot sun, but also to rescue him from his own wicked anger. God's good gift doesn't just keep Jonah from sunburn. It's meant to teach him very personally and practically God's undeserved grace and compassion. Jonah angry with God, yet God provided shade for him. How many times have we been in that position where we're angry with God or angry that something happened in our life and all of a sudden we get a blessing from God? Did we deserve it? No, he probably like rightfully deserved to go, okay, fine, you go off on your own way. Let's see what happens. But that's when God and his heart is revealed. In verse 10, the Lord said, you cared about the plant. 
which you did not labor over, which you did not grow. He said, it appeared in a night and it perished in a night. May I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish from their right and their left, as well as many animals. I love this. The final words spoken in the prophet's book are the Lord's. You know, the final words spoken in your life will be the Lord's. As we enter into that valley of a shadow of death, death does not have the last word. God has the last word. God speaking to Jonah to show the contrast of Jonah's heart and God's heart. He says, you cared about a plant. You cared about a plant, which you didn't labor over, which you didn't grow. It appeared in one night and perished in one night. So he's all, Jonah, you cared about a plant you had nothing to do with. It took none of your effort for it. You loved it simply because it was there. It didn't even last that long. You had no connection with it. It was there one day and gone the next. And here's what God is telling Jonah and what we need to hear. You're concerned with very temporary things. You have great care only for that which is temporal. The contrast is great. Jonah's care was not in the spiritual life of Nineveh, but in his own physical comfort. Jonah's unconcern with Nineveh and concern for Jonah was horrendously selfish. And much like a mirror for a lot of us, where we're more concerned with what am I going to do today? Where am I going to go today? How am I going to live today? How am I going to do this today? And there's people that are perishing and they're going to hell for eternity. There's people that God wants to move in their lives and we're like, but Lord, I don't want to go there. They don't have, I don't want to be a missionary in a foreign country. They don't have running water. They don't have showers. They don't have this. I don't want to go downtown because those people down there are just crazy. And, and I'm with you, like my heart says the same thing, but we have to allow God to have that revealing light in our heart because without that revealing light, that darkness, that evil and all that stays in there. God continues on with Jonah. He says, you didn't care or you didn't do anything with that plant, but you cared so much about it. He says, on the other hand, may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people. Now, I know I keep saying 650,000, and you hear 120,000, you're like, this pastor is crazy. Obviously, he doesn't know his numbers. The 120,000 people are believed and thought throughout history to be the children. That's why they don't know their right from their left. They're unlearned children. And so that would put the population estimate at 650,000. He says they, can't just, they don't know right from wrong. They don't know even their left from their right and as many animals. That last part, as well as many animals, that interests me. God's even concerned about the animals. Here's the implication. God, in fact, did labor and grow as well as knew every person in Nineveh. And therefore, he's inclined and even entitled to care about them 
and show them mercy and compassion. He's basically, God is kind of saying this, where is your mercy and compassion, Jonah? Is it only on Jonah? God was working to show Jonah he had no right to be angry over what was happening in Nineveh or what happened with the vine because he didn't give life to either of them. And he had nothing to do with sustaining them. He wasn't sovereign over them. He had no control in growing or them withering. See, Jonah's affections were misaligned in that he cared more for a plant than the eternal destiny of thousands of people. Jonah's heart cared for the temporal things that brought him comfort. God's heart cares for the eternal things. Our hearts need to be aligned with God's heart. And we need to move from the temporal to the eternal. We need to be able to distinguish the difference between the two. And we need to have the love for the things that are going to last. God asked a rhetorical question. No response from Jonah is given. When he said, so may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their left and their right, as well as many animals. Tradition says, after God spoke these words, Jonah fell on his face and said, govern your world according to the measure of mercy as it is said. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Quoting from Daniel 9.9, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord, though we have rebelled against him. It's not though they rebelled against him. It's not though I rebelled against him. Though we, we're all included. God's question is a heart-probing question to Jonah. This is what he's asking Jonah. May I show them grace? He's not asking for permission. He's asking Jonah to see the folly of his anger. He's probing Jonah's heart. Allow him to probe your heart as well, to grow you in grace, to align your heart with his. The remarkable thing is the grace and mercy shown in this chapter of how God works with his wayward prophet. After so many times of failing, God still works patiently with Jonah because he's a God of second chances. He doesn't yell at Jonah. He doesn't destroy Jonah. He asks probing questions to get Jonah to see the truth. That's how patient God works with us. Sometimes when we feel like God isn't changing us fast enough, that's because he doesn't just instantly make the change. He works within our spirit, with his spirit, that he would sanctify us by removing little by little those things that so easily ensnare us and change our hearts and move it from being in alignment with him. He wanted Jonah to see the truth and give up the resentment of his grace. He wants us to see the truth and give up our resentment as well of his grace. 
Jonah prayed his best prayer from the belly of a fish. His worst prayer prayed was from the place where God was working miraculously through him. Resenting the work that God was doing. Remember, sometimes our best prayers, our best time of communication with God, comes from the worst times of our lives. We also see that Jonah abandoned his place of ministry. As he abandoned his place of ministry, as I said, he became just like the elder brother of the prodigal son. And when the prodigal son came back and the father was overjoyed and his brother who's been gone for so long came back, he had no joy in his heart for him. He was resenting the fact that his brother was home. Why? Because his father was showing him grace. And they had a big old feast. They, they killed the fatted calf that had been saved for when his son would come home. And the brothers stood outside the feast and would not go in. It, it, doesn't, it can't use any stronger sense. He would not. That's the same willing or unwillingness that Christ declares towards the city of Jerusalem when he says, I was willing, yet you were not. I wanted to gather you as chicks under my wings, yet you would not. It's a tragedy when anger and resentment to God's grace cause God's servants to be a vehicle of blessing but miss the blessing for themselves entirely. And notice the questions that Jonah was asked by God. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? That's an important question because unrighteous anger feeds the ego. It produces the poison of resentment in the heart and it, it's like drinking poison the whole time going, I can't wait till you die. And Jonah's anger all came from still having a problem with the will of God. Left to consider the la his lack of compassion and God's depth of compassion, God has made several main points. God is gracious towards all nations. All nations, all people, all tongues, all tribes. Number two, God is sovereign. Number three, God will punish rebellion. But God also gives the chance to repent and obey. And the fifth thing, the most important thing that we have to remember as we carry out this message of God's love and grace, he wants us to place no limits on his love and grace. God loves the world, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And God is willing to spare us just like he was willing to spare Nineveh. And we're going to partake of communion here. And I'm hoping I can get a couple of guys that are willing to uh, help me out in handing out the communion. Um, Aaron and Billy, I'll take your help. I definitely need it. If you guys can just uh, hand out the communion. I want, as we hand out the communion, hold it to yourselves. And I want you to understand, God was unwilling to 
punish us and, and, and to um, see us destroyed, ultimately. He gave us the chance to spare us. He was willing to spare us like he was willing to spare Nineveh. In order to do that, though, he could not spare his own son. And that's what communion represents to us. Is It's the remembering that God did not spare his own son for us, but it delivered him up to us. You see, the truth of that is somebody has to die for our sins. Or we will die in our sins. And the greatest truth about God's love is this. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? The communion elements are a physical representation of a truth. It's the truth that Christ really died. It's the truth that his body was beaten and broken and his blood was spilt for you and I. And it may not make sense to us, but it comes from the sanctity of life. God declared that all life was sanctified and that those who violate life, they must pay with their own life. And we attribute that normally to if we physically take someone else's life. But God attributes that also to when we mar the image of God because God cannot stand in the presence of sin be in the presence of imperfection and we might think but yeah I, I only sinned that one time and the rest of my life I was perfectly an angel but that one time is enough to miss that mark of perfection and maybe in your heart you say that's not fair But is it fair that God sent his own son to die on the cross to be the perfect one and to the one who dies in your place and all you have to do is place faith and trust in him to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and Savior? No, that's not fair either. But God in his grace and mercy did it anyway. And so we partake of communion to remember that. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, as he instituted the Lord's Supper in the early church, he said, If I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
And that is the glorious truth, is that in Christ's death and our faith in Christ, he died for our sins. Those are covered. But he promised that he's coming back for us. And we as the church, we wait for this glorious day known as the rapture. That is the next prophetical event that will happen. And it's the day when which the Lord comes back to the clouds with a great shout. And he will call up all of his church all at once. Both those who died and those who are alive and remain now. And so as we close with this song, I want you to focus on that truth and understand the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion that you've been shown so that we can go and we can align our hearts with God and show that same grace and compassion in the world. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word, your truth. Father, we thank you for all of it. We thank you so much for your son coming to die on the cross with us. Lord, help us to choose life over death, but not just our life, but life for others, that we would seek to see life, that we would seek to see your kingdom uh, grow and heaven filled. And may we also be looking to the sky as we await your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.